0: Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. So here we go. Appointments. There was an appointment this morning we talked about with Brother Chuck, and there are appointments all throughout your schedules. You have busy schedules. You do. I have a busy schedule. I do. I I work two jobs. My schedule's constantly packed. That doesn't mean I'm important. It just means I'm busy. You guys have meetings. And then you have appointments. And and Lance and I were debating this. What's the difference between a meeting and an, an appointment? Yeah, I don't know. And maybe it's just nuance. And maybe it really doesn't matter. But meetings are generally less important. They're generally with a bunch of people they generally don't have a specific purpose or outcome necessarily all the time. But an appointment generally is a small group of people. Generally, it's one-on-one or two-on-one. An appointment is generally considered really important. You can miss a meeting, but you don't want to be late to an appointment. In fact, appointments, when we use that word appointment, I have an appointment, generally, we're going to somebody who has some information, some authority, some power greater than ours, and we're going to it in order to benefit from it. Like we schedule appointments with the doctor. No one says I'm going to meet with the doctor. We, we say we have an appointment. We know it's a big deal. We know we meet that doctor, and we have a, he's going to give us some information, good or bad, and we're going to have to deal with it. Those are really important appointments. You guys have important appointments all the time. What's on your calendars? What's on your calendar today that says it's an appointment? We make appointments with real estate agents to go look at houses. You make appointments with employers for a job interview. These are appointments. And maybe there are appointments you don't want. You know, it's funny. I think I'm setting up meetings with the church. Like I'll come to a family and say, hey, can we meet? Can we hang out? Invite them to my office or invite them to my home. And without fail, every time I do this, everyone assumes it's an appointment and something's wrong. Oh, the pastor's going to tell me something. People think, do I, am I an angry person? Do I look angry or mean? I, I, I try to be nice, I wear sweaters and cardigans. I mean, how can you possibly be mean? So there are appointments you don't want, right? The IRS calls you and says, we're going to audit you. Yeah, I had one of these. They're, they're not fun. Lance and I went. He took care of them. He did. Then there are appointments that you, you, you just can't get. The appointments you really want. And I asked my wife, she says, I don't know what you mean. I said, well, they happen all the time, right? When you're really sick, maybe you're, you're suffering from something a doctor can't find out you need a specialist. You call the special stuff and you want to get that appointment for next week, next month, and he tells you he's booked for the next six months. What, what are you going to do? That's happened to us, right? There are appointments That maybe you want and you'll never get. Maybe you want to meet with Brad Pitt. I don't know why that name came to mind. It hit one of my feeds yesterday. Some woman decided not to hug Brad Pitt and it was a big deal. Look, if I could hug Brad Pitt, I'm hugging Brad Pitt. Maybe it's with one of the presidents. Maybe you want to meet with a president and that's an appointment that you think about but you would never get perhaps. Then there's one more kind of appointment that I want you to think about. It's the kind of appointment that would be really important. Think celebrity, think president, think CEO of a company. Or maybe think of it this way, this is more common today. I don't even know if they still have this in 2018. But does anyone know Publishers Clearinghouse? Yeah, yeah, right? Publisher's Clearing House, right? It used to be uh, what was his name? Um, Ed McMahon. He used to go to your home and knock on your door and you open the door and he had that giant check. He was just going to give to you, right? Imagine an appointment, extremely important one like that, where you didn't set it up. In fact, you had no control over the schedule, the timing, the situation, but the appointment was going to happen. And the important person that you want to meet with, in this case, you know, Brad Pitt or a president or Ed McMahon, they were going to come meet you. Can you imagine an appointment where The important person is pursuing you. And now imagine, imagine if this Ed McMahon or somebody wants to give you lots of money, wants to make you a millionaire. What if he's trying to reach you and he just can't quite get a hold of you? He knocks on the door. You hear the knock and you scream from the bathroom upstairs, don't answer it! Whatever he's got, I'm not buying. Don't let Sean to the door. He buys anything. Griffin peeks out the window. I don't know what it is, Mom. Then they start calling. And you guys know this. I don't know this number. Ignore. They called a second time. Spam. Ignore. Now they called a third time. Definitely, definitely one of those hackers. Put them on block. They knock at your door. Now they start sending mail to your house. Confidential, important. Rip, trash, burns, probably a bill. I don't want to know what it is. Imagine somebody really important trying to get a hold of you to schedule this appointment, to give you something that would change your life. That's what we're trying to talk about. And that's what happens in Galatians chapter 4. You can turn your Bibles, if you will, turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. It's a great part of the Bible in the second half of the Bible. So it's a little bit, it's actually, it looks like three quarters through my Bible, maybe even seven eights. I mean, that's pretty deep in there. Galatians is towards the back. And so you have Galatians one, two, three, and it's talking about being children of God and what that means. You know, the Bible calls us children of God. It says we are children of God. Brother Chuck was a child of God. He may have been in his seventies, but he was a child a child, no matter how old we get, we are supposed to be children of God. That's what chapter three says. And then he says, Maybe you don't get it. So let me give you chapter four. So I'll tee it up right now. Imagine, if you will, that this amazing appointment that was about to happen that was gonna change your life. You were entitled to it. In other words, you had a rich family member, a father, even who had lots of money and lots of prestige and lots of fame, and this this rich family member passed away and left all the inheritance to you. But you were a baby, you were a child, so you, you couldn't have access to it, not until the day where you were old enough to take advantage of it. And so, from the day that you got the inheritance to the day that you got to take advantage of it, between that time, you were nothing changed. You were simply just a little child growing up, not able to take advantage of the inheritance. This is what God is saying in chapter 4 of Galatians. Let's look at it. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young child, those children are not much better off than the slaves, than the servants, until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. You see, in that time, the rich families, they were nobles, right? They were prestigious people, and so they had lots of servants. And so even though the child was left everything, they were treated just like a A servant. Verse 2, they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. Verse 3, and that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children, (laughs) slaves to the basic principles of this world. This is the tee-up for Jesus Christ. To say it differently, God has given you spiritual inheritance. He's given you blessings. He's given you something that you couldn't possibly take advantage of unless it was for Jesus Christ. Somebody's excited about it. I'm excited about it. Look, this is what it means at the end of verse 4. What it means is the world says to you, you got a busy schedule. You got a busy day. Worry about that. Stress out about that. Plan it. Pre-plan it. You know, figure things out. When it doesn't go right, be upset about it. Do a better job next time. That's what the world says. Jesus Christ came and he said, worry not about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worry on its own, for I will provide all you need today. The world teaches us that there's always someone better. Chris, you can run the marathon as good as you can. You can set personal best. And when you achieve that personal best, you'll be second place to someone right behind you because someone else will be better. We can study hard. We can do good at work. We can raise our children and do the best job as mothers and fathers as we can. Then we look on Facebook and realize super moms out there. The world teaches us there's always someone better and we can never be good enough no matter how hard we try. Jesus says, greater is he that is in us than is in the world. You see, blessings, blessings. You know, with Jesus came the verse, with God, nothing is impossible. The world wants to give us a list of all things we can't do. Jesus says nothing is impossible. Here's one of my favorite ones. The world teaches us that this is a painful place and that bad things happen to good people and that you will suffer in this world and you need to struggle through it And you know what? Being a Christian is no better than being any other person on the street because you are going to suffer the same things that they're going to suffer. And so they teach you that you might as well get ahead the best way that you can. That you may seize the day and you must push through it. But the Bible says that God has given you blessings that you need to take advantage of that Jesus Christ is going to give you. He says, all things work together for. The verse that I want you to focus on here now is the next one, verse 4. I'm going to put it on the screen here. This is the tee-up for the verse of the day. In verse 4 of Galatians 4, it says, But when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman. So this inheritance that we're going to get, that we're going to be able to take advantage of, requires Jesus Christ to come. And here's the verse in verse 4 of when he came. Let's take a look at this real quick, and I want to go quickly because we have a lot to do today, and my mind is spinning, so hopefully I get this right. There's three points here, and I want to make sure I hit each and every one of them because the Bible says it, and therefore it's true. You know, Jesus Christ was born of a woman? Now, you may say, that's, that's obvious. I knew that. Really? Do we know that? I mean, God could have just dropped Jesus down from heaven like an angel, of course. He could have come out of the wilderness. Nobody knew where he came from. In all sorts of religions, these things happened. But not our God. He was born of a woman. But all throughout America, even in Christianity, we marginalize. We objectify. We think women are People treat women as they're incompetent, that they are subservient, that that they somehow are secondary or second rate, and yet God himself decided to send the Savior of the universe through woman. If you are a woman today, make no mistake, God has a beautiful plan for you, and it is a plan that no man could ever accomplish, and God wants to do it in you. Amen? Amen. The second line says, "God sent His Son." This is one of my favorite verses. God sent His Son. We know this. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Well, that says He gave His only begotten Son. Here it's a little more clear. He sent His Son. Let's paint that picture. Here's God on the throne of the mercy seat. At His right hand sits Jesus Christ, interceding for you and me. And He's been doing this since the beginning of time. And in the beginning of time, He has been answering prayers. And how does He answer these prayers? He answered these prayers by sending angels down to do his bidding. And he's been doing this again since the beginning of time. There's no pain. There's no suffering. There is no gnashing of teeth. There's no worry. There's no anxiety. There's no addiction. There's no jealousy. There's no anger. There's no hatred. There's no violence. There's no racism in heaven where he sat. There's no need. There's no want. Everything. Is paradise. And this is where Jesus Christ sits. This is where Jesus Christ was sent from. Sent from. Think about this for a second. Chris and I were talking about it at our pastor's meeting. All the angels are hanging out and they're doing all of Jesus' bidding for years and years and centuries and thousands of millennia doing all of the things that Jesus needs them to do. And the angels come back reporting to Jesus, whoo, them humans. I don't know what you were thinking. I went down and tried to do what you said, but then they weren't, you know, I don't know. And you know what, Jesus? The sin on earth, it's everywhere. I mean, it's nasty. Go into the most righteous house and I find sin. I don't know what you're thinking, Jesus. Are you sure? Bless that family. Yes, yes, bless that family. These humans, Jesus, why didn't you just make them all angels? We're awesome. We got wings. But the love for humanity became evident the moment God said, angels, I can't use you for this one. They said, what do you mean? What do you need me to do? We know that, that humans are beyond repair. We can't fix them. W- what are you going to do? God says, I'm going to use Jesus. And they're like, bout time. Bout time. Put the wings on Jesus. Let him float down, answer all the miracles, do whatever he's got to do, and come back to heaven. He says, No. I'm going to send my son as a human being. And the angels looked back and said, What? You're going you're to go down to earth where all the sin is, and you're going to mingle with the humans. What? I can imagine this. And God says, Yes, I'm going to send them through woman as a, as a what? A baby? a little baby, and and the tens of thousands of angels like, don't worry, God, we're good. We'll go down with him. And God says, no, no, no. He's going to do this on his own. Can you imagine what the angels are thinking when God sent his son? Can you imagine them watching and wondering? And it all sums up the birth of Jesus Christ. You know, one more thing here. God sent his son. I can't help but share this. God sent his son. God sent his son. Why do we say we found Jesus? This is crazy to me. Oh, I found Jesus. I was searching on a journey and I found Jesus. This verse is very clear. You didn't find anything. Jesus came looking for you. You know the famous song, I was once lost and now I'm found? Jesus Christ found. Found you. He recklessly, relentlessly pursued you. When you hear that term reckless and you wonder, God's not reckless? When He sends 10,000 angels and keeps them in heaven and sends Jesus as a baby, it seems a little reckless. You sent the guy who was in heaven, who was the Son of all sons, interceding for you and I, now sent as a baby, vulnerable. That's what we mean, pursuing you and me, hunting us down. That's what God was doing. We weren't, we, we didn't find Jesus. He found, He hunted us like the 99. The lambs, you know, one left, and he found that one. He hunted them down. Well, look at the first part of this verse, though. This is the part that is today and Christmas season's all about. But when the right time, but when the right time came, somebody's reading it. But when the right time came, Know today, some of you are praying for things. Some of you are praying for healing, praying for deliverance, praying for God to answer a prayer that no one knows about, praying for your children, praying for your job, praying for your finances. Some of you are praying, asking God to answer it. Make no mistake, he knows when the right time is. And when the right time comes, he does his thing. This morning, he had an appointment with Chuck Sanders. Now, we may not think it's the right time, but God is perfect. And when the right time came, he sent his son. It's what I call a divine appointment. Christmas is a divine appointment. Literally, God set it on the calendar to send his son down to earth to have an appointment with us, to pursue us, to hunt us down where we are as human beings Feeling, thoughts, emotions, the same way we do. That's how Jesus came. He wants to meet us. And God is demonstrating he will stop at nothing to meet you and me. You know what that is under, let says create event. See that little picture there? You probably have seen this before. If you have a, a mobile device or if you have a computer or if you have access to the internet, that is an event creation. You know, when you have an event, you create an event. If you type in appointment with God, or divine appointment into Google, you know what you get? You instantly, somebody was really creative here, you instantly get the ability to create an event. You can put into Google divine appointment, and what'll happen is the next half hour, it'll schedule an event for you, and it'll say like this, meet with God. How many of you have this event on your calendar? You see, if it's a meeting, you may miss it. You may be late. You may not care. We have prayer meetings all the time. People are late. People miss it. People don't come. But if you had an appointment. A divine appointment with God. Would you meet him? Would you listen to him? Some of us need divine appointments on our calendar. Some of us need to circle our day around that divine appointment. Some of us need divine appointments for ourselves. Some of us need divine appointments for our children. Some of us need divine appointments for our spouses. Log on to your spouse's phone, put a divine appointment on there. Log on to your kid's calendar, put a divine appointment on there. Some, some of us need our employers need to have a divine appointment. Our neighbors need to have a divine appointment. In fact, some of us know some sinners, e.g. our friends, that need a divine appointment Do you have a divine appointment on your calendar? You see, God will not stop pursuing us. So now I I want you to see this. This is so clear. This is so clear to me. God is pursuing you. He is the one that's setting up the appointment. He is the one that's setting the time. He is the one that's setting the place. He is the one, and often is the case, we miss it. We don't answer the door. We don't answer the phone. We rip up the mail. We're not paying attention because our schedules are more important than his. This is what Christmas is all about, to change our life. Not just December 25th, but to change our life. He came down to this planet to meet with you and me and to have a divine appointment. How do I know this? How do I know that God is pursuing us? That doesn't sound like the Christianity I know. Christianity I know says I need to hunt God down, I need to pray, and I need to, I need to ask him for forgiveness. That sounds like a lot I need to do. That's what you need to do after the appointment. God came pursuing you. It's not often this happens. 4 verse 4, chapter 4 verse 4 is in Galatians. Another 4-4 four, four I want you to look at is that in John. Now, you can turn to John 4-4, four, four, but I'm going to tell you the story real quick. I'm going to do it as fast as I can. John 4-4 four, four is about Samaria. You know, the good Samaritan, it's about the Samaritan woman. And, and this is a really, really important story. I've preached on this story probably three times since I've been here, and I'll preach on another 30 because there's so much truth in this story in John chapter 4. It's only a few verses, and it's a really interesting story where Jesus is going to another place, Galilee, and it says he's going through Samaria. This is a big deal. The Bible talks about this being a big deal. Why is this a big deal? This is a big deal because the Samarians and the Jewish people did not like each other. As a matter of fact, they hated each other. They hated each other because of culture, because of the skin color, because of race. It was was racism at its best. And they served a different God. It was religious freedom and religious choice at its best. And so they didn't mingle anymore. Samaritans, they were because some Jewish people splintered off, and they interracially married and created this basically new race, and and the Jewish people considered them unholy, so they stayed away from one another. This is why the Good Samaritan is such an important story. This story here, though, is about a woman, a woman who the Bible talks about did not have a good reputation. This woman in the Bible, well, she wasn't a prostitute, no. You know, she was just like You and me. She was trying to make her way through the world. And then this woman, she was known at this time to be basically a, a husband stealer. She was an aggressive woman. She liked men and apparently couldn't make marriage work. And she had been through a bunch of marriages. In fact, at this story, she was at her fifth that had just ended. People didn't like her. She was an outcast. She had to deal with life on her own terms, and so she was hanging out at the well. In chapter 4, verse 4, it says he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria on the way. This is a story about racism. This is a story about gender equality. This is a story about religious freedom. This is a story about cultural differences. Do those things sound familiar to you? These things are all the things we're dealing with in America in 2018, and Jesus dealt with it in chapter four of John. He comes up to this woman, wait, wait 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 wait. there's something here. you know the Samaria part I talked to you about, the on the way part I talked about. you know who Jesus is what is here that you're just not quite seeing. You see, I didn't see it the first time, not the second time, not the third time. I saw it this time when I was thinking about divine appointments. Because when I think about God pursuing me, there's a word here that's really clear that makes it very obvious he was pursuing me. And it doesn't matter what translation you're looking at. It's the same word no matter what version you have. Let's look at it a little bigger. It looks like, let's make some room. There it is. Jesus had, can you see that? H-A-D, had. He had to go through Samaria. He had to go meet this woman. He was on a mission designed by God to meet this woman, a divine appointment. He was insanely and desperately pursuing this woman in a land he wasn't supposed to go. Why was he doing that? Because God loves us so much he will go out of his way to pursue you. The Bible says he had to. This little word, had to. He had to pursue you. And in this appointment, changed her life. The Bible says she argued about religion, she argued about race, she argued about her husbands on her fifth husband. Jesus got through all of that, changed her life, and showed her everlasting life. And you know what? Here's what's interesting. She wasn't, she didn't ask for this. She didn't ask. She did not ask. She did not ask. Oh, pray that God would save me. God would change my life. You know, that I would meet Jesus today. No, 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 no. God pursued her. Some of you didn't ask today to be here. Some of you didn't think you were going to be here. It was any big deal. You are here by divine appointment. God is pursuing you. I used to pray when I was in college that God would tie a string around my heart. And if I ever got too far from him, that he would yank me back. And sometimes he didn't. It was quite painful. But it reminds me that god is pursuing me and he will stop at nothing to pursue you he will use anything to pursue you this god on christmas is pursuing us church with a divine appointment i want to wake one more point can you hear it you can hear it how about this story do you remember it this is the story of jonah i picked this story because i know we may have some visitors today and and not everybody knows all the bible but this story oh this story many people know the story of Jonah. This is in the Old Testament. This is a story where a man was called by God to go to Nineveh, this place, again, a racial conflict, again, a place he did not want to go, a place where he hated the people. He did not want to go and preach God to these people. He wanted them to die. God said, you go and you do it. He said, no. He said, I'm gonna, instead, I'm going to run away. I'm going to run away as far as I can from God. And you know what God did? Pursued him. How did this look? Well, let's take a look at it real quick. God, he, they got on a boat. A storm came. The people on the boat said, Jonah, you got to go because you're going to kill us all. He jumped off the boat, into the water, starts drowning, and guess what happens? A giant fish came. Swallowed him, took him to the shores of Nineveh. He goes, no, no, no. This is not what I want to do. He's like, it's so hot here. So God gave him a leaf so that he could have shade. And then after a little while, God sent a worm And the worm ate the leaf, and now he's burning. And God! And then after a little while, a wind comes and blows all of them. And then it says he finally understood what God wanted him to do. This is where the Word of God is perfect. This is what we miss. You know that story. You've read it, you probably knew it as well as I do. Go back and look. Did God cause the fish? Did God make the fish? What was going on with the fish? Go back and look at the word God used in your Bible. Then if you had time, you could go and you could look up the Hebrew and see the word. Here is the word God used. It's, it's very interesting. In my version, it uses the word prepared. He prepared the fish. I wanted to know what that word prepared means. I go back and look in the Bible in the Hebrew and it uses a very specific word, a word called manah. The word is manah. You know what manah means? Listen. It means to appoint. In the King James, he appointed the fish. Well, it gets better. It gets better. Read through chapter 4 of Jonah. Look at the leaf. It says God appointed the leaf. Then look a little further. It says God appointed the worm. Look a little further. It says God appointed the wind. Do you understand that God is in the business of making appointments for you and for me? And He will use anything and everything to get your attention, but just we ain't listening. God is in the business of divine appointments. He will use winds, storms, fish, worms. He will even use the death of a best friend to get your attention. Does He have it? God will relentlessly pursue you. And that, what is what Christmas is all about. Make an appointment today with somebody. Share the gospel while you still have breath with somebody. And maybe your story will look like this. I'm going to share one last story in closing. Let's see here. Did it come up? Oh, there it is. My wife loves the beach, so I put this up here. I thought it was a great ending to this message here. It's a beach. We love the beach. And it says our famous saying here, God is good. Does the Bible talk about beach and sands? Well, maybe not beach, but it does talk about sand. It talks about a woman. Listen to this story. The Bible talks about this woman who was caught in adultery. And then all the people wanted to condemn her and stone her. Jesus comes and he says, if any of you have not sinned, cast the first stone. Of course, they go away. And he's writing in the sand. No one knows what he's writing. He's writing something in the sand. He gets done writing and then he says this to the woman. Does anyone condemn you? She goes, no, no one condemns me. He goes, I therefore do not condemn you Go and sin no more. This is Jesus Christ. When we do wrong, he does not condemn. He's not pursuing you to condemn you. He's not pursuing you to make your life something that it never should be. He's trying to make your life something it was always meant to be. God is pursuing you. The world wants to condemn you first and then tell you to do better and sin no more. God. God. God wants to forgive you first and then tell you to sin no more. Listen to this story. It was early in my junior year in college at Virginia Tech, and everywhere I turned, it felt like God was following me. It began a few months before when a friend talked to me about Jesus at a Halloween party. Since that night, I couldn't shake his words. I believed God was real, but I wasn't ready to surrender my life of dating, drinking, And drugs. Yet I couldn't escape the sneaking suspicion my friend had told me the truth. Several times that semester I found myself smoking weed only to be compelled to flush it, pick up the Bible. On the weekends I'd party so hard, but somehow I found a way to attend church on Sunday, no matter how strung out I was. My soul was conflicted. Though I loved the fleeting pleasures of sin, I felt as if I was being pursued by God himself. In the middle of this soul-searching, my my buddy Adam suggested we go to Panama City Beach for spring break, and it didn't take much convincing me to agree. I needed more fun in the sun to help clear my mind. As we drove with the windows down and music blaring, we talked about life and school and girls, and, and we talked about what I was reading in the Bible. I told Adam I was seeing things in a new light and felt God was showing himself to me everywhere I went. Adam was a good friend, and he listened but I'm sure he thought I was crazy. As we neared Paramal City, I noticed a plane flying overhead, pulling a banner behind it. As we drew closer, it read, Jesus loves you, John 3.16. I pointed out, Adam, look, God's following me. Once we arrived at the hotel, we dropped off our bags and headed to the beach. We anchored our chairs in the sand and cracked open a pair of cold beers. After a while, I noticed a small herd of students talking to people and handing out little booklets. A couple guys came to me and gave me a pamphlet, told me God had a wonderful plan for my life. After they made their way off the beach, I turned to Adam and said, See, I'm telling you, God is following me. We laughed it off and headed back to the room. That evening, we went to a club. When We made our way out to the curb to call a cab. Three vans pulled up, holy graffiti all over It read, God loves you, believe in the gospel, Jesus saves. The driver got out offering free rides for anybody who needed one. We declined, of course. And as we walked away, I said, Adam, I'm not making this stuff up. He's following me. The next day, we decided to lay low. It was rainy. I found some weed and smoked myself hungry. So I found Adam, and we made our way to the waffle house across the street. I told him I felt God was making me feel weird about the way I was living. I didn't know what to do. As we scarfed down our waffles, he looked at me and said, Bro, I think you need to stop doing the weed and messing with your mind. Within minutes, the doors flung open and a flood of 30 loud, laughing, crazy people carrying Bibles walked in, surrounded us, took seats everywhere. One guy walked straight up to me and said, hey, my name is Shelby. Do you go to Virginia Tech? Blown away, he said, yeah, I I I do. Have I ever seen you at church in Blacksburg? I told him, well, I've been to church a couple times. Maybe that was possible. Shelby explained he was with a group called Campus Crusade for Christ. And that he'd like to meet with me when we get back to school and talk about God and the Bible. We exchanged information and he headed off. As Shelby left, Adam stared at me and said, Dude, God is totally following you around. The next day, I took a walk on the beach. It was before dusk. I saw this little young girl sitting by herself, staring into the ocean. I wasn't sure why, but I felt I needed to talk to her. I said, hello, and asked if she'd been in the water. The water was too cold for her, she said. I said something stupid, like, yeah, I'd have to have a case of beer before I go in there. She looked at me solemnly and replied, I don't know about that, but God has taught me Jesus is all I need to be happy. It was a pretty serious divine appointment and it didn't surprise me. I told her I'd been thinking a lot about God and I asked this little girl to pray for me. After that I walked to the hotel and there was a lady in a beach wheelchair and another guy about my age singling me for come over. I figured here God goes again and it would be bad for me to run from a woman in a wheelchair so I made my way over. The lady's name was Stacy and after a few get to know questions she said what do you know about Jesus I don't remember much else other than she said God knows about me and I need to choose to be for him or against him I can't be both the beach trip proved to be a true line in the sand for me God is good I don't know what Jesus wrote in the sand that day It wasn't in English, but I bet you it had something to do with God being good. When I returned back to school, I began meeting with that Shelby fella. He helped me understand the basics of walking with Jesus, and since that trip, I have been doing just that. Not because of something wise or something wonderful in me, but because the King of Glory set his affection on me and never stopped pursuing. I'm not gonna tell you who this story is about. It's not about me. I didn't go to Virginia Tech. But the story of this young man is now a pastor of a brilliant church. Because God didn't stop pursuing me. God is pursuing you. He is pursuing your children. He is pursuing your spouse, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian. Whether you know you're a sinner today and living in sin, or whether you are a Christian hiding sin, or whether you are a Christian not in sin, God is pursuing you to a whole nother level. He is pursuing you to be a creature that he has better plans for than you could ever have for yourself. He has a plan that I couldn't possibly describe. So don't come to me and say, what is it, pa- Pastor Sean no in fact you need to uh, accept the divine appointment he has allow him to pursue you allow yourself to be quiet enough and listen to him speak and then he will listen to you as you pray we at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean it was not by chance you listened to it God is speaking to you Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.